Chapter Twelve of the Chronicles of Avonlea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Chronicles of Avonlea, by Lucy Maud Montgomery, Chapter Twelve: The End of a Quarrel, Part Two. Well, he should have got married, she said snappishly. I am not going to worry because he is a lonely old bachelor when all these years I have supposed him a comfy Benedict. Why doesn't he hire him a housekeeper at least? He can afford it. The place looks prosperous. Ugh, I have a fat bank account, and I've seen almost everything in the world worth seeing. But I've got several carefully hidden gray hairs and a horrible conviction that grammar isn't one of the essential things in life after all. Well, I'm not going to moon out here in the dew any longer. I'm going in to read the smartest, frilliest, frothiest society novel in my trunk. In the week that followed, Nancy enjoyed herself after her own fashion. She read and swung in the garden, having a hammock hung under the firs. She went far afield in rambles to woods and lonely uplands. I like it much better than meeting people, she said, when Louisa suggested going to see this one and that one, especially the Avonlea people. All my old chums are gone, or hopelessly married and changed, and the young set who have come up know not Joseph, and make me feel uncomfortably middle-aged. It's far worse to feel middle-aged than old, you know. Anyway, there in the woods I feel as eternally young as nature herself. And oh, it's nice not to have to fuss with thermometers and temperatures and other people's whims. Let me indulge my own whims, Louisa dear, and punish me with a cold bite when I come in late for meals. I'm not even going to church again. It was horrible there yesterday. The church is so offensively spick and span brand new and modern. It's thought to be the prettiest church in these parts, protested Louisa, a little sorely. Churches shouldn't be pretty. They should at least be fifty years old and mellowed into beauty. New churches are an abomination. Did you see Peter Wright in church? asked Louisa. She had been bursting to ask it. Nancy nodded. Verily, yes, he sat right across from me in the corner pew. I didn't think him painfully changed. Iron-gray hair becomes him. But I was horribly disappointed in myself. I had expected to feel at least a romantic thrill, but all I felt was a comfortable interest, such as I might have taken in any old friend. Do my utmost, Louisa. I couldn't compass a thrill. Did he come to speak to you? asked Louisa, who hadn't any idea what Nancy meant by her thrills. Alas, no, it wasn't my fault. I stood at the door outside with the most amiable expression I could assume, but Peter merely sauntered away without a glance in my direction. It would be some comfort to my vanity if I could believe it was on account of rankling spite or pride. But the honest truth, dear Wheezy, is that he looked to me exactly as if he never thought of it. He was more interested in talking about the hay crop with Oliver Sloan, who, by the way, is more Oliver Sloanish than ever. If you feel as you said you did the other night, why don't you go and speak to him? Louisa wanted to know. But I don't feel that way now. That was just a mood. You don't know anything about moods, dearie. You don't know what it is to yearn desperately one hour for something you wouldn't take if it were offered you the next. But that is foolishness, protested Louisa. To be sure it is, rank foolishness. But, oh, it is so delightful to be foolish after being compelled to be unbrokenly sensible for twenty years. Well, I'm going picking strawberries this afternoon, Lou. Don't wait tea for me. I probably won't be back till dark. I've only four more days to stay, and I want to make the most of them. Nancy wandered far and wide in her rambles that afternoon. When she had filled her jug, she still roamed about with delicious aimlessness. 
Once she found herself in a wood lane skirting a field wherein a man was mowing hay. The man was Peter Wright. Nancy walked faster when she discovered this, with never a roving glance, and presently the green, ferny depths of the maple woods swallowed her up. From old recollections she knew that she was on Peter Morrison's land, and calculated that if she kept straight on she would come out where the old Morrison house used to be. Her calculations proved correct, with a trifling variation. She came out fifty yards south of the old deserted Morrison house, and found herself in the yard of the Wright farm. Passing the house, the house where she had once dreamed of reigning as mistress, Nancy's curiosity overcame her. The place was not in view of any other house. She deliberately went up to it, intending, low be it spoken, to peep in the kitchen window. But seeing the door wide open, she went to it instead and halted on the step, looking about her keenly. The kitchen was certainly pitiful in its disorder. The floor had apparently not been swept for a fortnight. On the bare deal table were the remnants of Peter's dinner, a meal that could not have been very tempting at its best. "'What a miserable place for a human being to live in!' groaned Nancy. "'Look at the ashes on that stove, and that table! Is it any wonder that Peter has got gray? He'll work hard haymaking all the afternoon, and come home to this!' An idea suddenly darted into Nancy's brain. At first she looked aghast, then she laughed and glanced at her watch. I'll do it, just for fun and a little pity. It's half-past two, and Peter won't be home till four at the earliest. I'll have a good hour to do it in, and still make my escape in good time. Nobody will ever know. Nobody can see me here. Nancy went in, threw off her hat, and seized a broom. The first thing she did was to give the kitchen a thorough sweeping. Then she kindled a fire, put a kettle full of water on to heat, and attacked the dishes. From the number of them she rightly concluded that Peter hadn't washed any for at least a week. "'I suppose he just uses the clean ones as long as they hold out, and then has a grand wash-up,' she laughed. "'I wonder where he keeps his dish-towels, if he has any.' Evidently Peter hadn't any. At least Nancy couldn't find any. She marched boldly into the dusty sitting-room and explored the drawers of an old-fashioned sideboard, confiscating a towel she found there. As she worked she hummed a song. Her steps were light and her eyes bright with excitement. Nancy was enjoying herself thoroughly, there was no doubt of that. The spice of mischief in the adventure pleased her mightily. The dishes washed, she hunted up a clean but yellow and evidently long unused tablecloth out of the sideboard, and proceeded to set the table and get Peter's tea. She found bread and butter in the pantry, a trip to the cellar furnished a pitcher of cream, and Nancy recklessly heaped the contents of her strawberry jug on Peter's plate. The tea was made and set back to keep warm and as a finishing touch Nancy ravaged the old neglected garden and set a huge bowl of crimson roses in the center of the table. "'Now I must go,' she said aloud. "'Wouldn't it be fun to see Peter's face when he comes in, though? Ha-hum! I've enjoyed doing this, but why? Nancy Rogerson, don't be asking yourself conundrums. Put on your hat and proceed homeward, constructing on your way some reliable fib to account to Louisa for the absence of your strawberries.' Nancy paused a moment and looked around wistfully. She had made the place look cheery and neat and homelike. She felt that queer tugging at her heart-strings again. Suppose she belonged here, and was waiting for Peter to come home to tea. Suppose Nancy whirled around with a sudden horrible prescience of what she was going to see. Peter Wright was standing in the doorway. Nancy's face went crimson. For the first time in her life she had not a word to say for herself. Peter looked at her, and then at the table, with its fruit and flowers. "'Thank you,' he said politely. Nancy recovered herself. 
With a shamefaced laugh she held out her hand. "'Don't have me arrested for trespass, Peter. I came and looked at your kitchen out of impertinent curiosity, and just for fun I thought I'd come in and get your tea. I thought you'd be so surprised, and I meant to go before you came home, of course.' "'I wouldn't have been surprised,' said Peter, shaking hands. "'I saw you go past the field, and I tied the horses and followed you down through the woods. I've been sitting on the fence back yonder, watching your comings and goings.' "'Why didn't you come and speak to me at church yesterday, Peter?' demanded Nancy boldly. "'I was afraid I would say something ungrammatical,' answered Peter dryly. The crimson flamed over Nancy's face again. She pulled her hand away. "'That's cruel of you, Peter.' Peter suddenly laughed. There was a note of boyishness in the laughter. "'So it is. But I had to get rid of the accumulated malice in spite of twenty years, somehow. It's all gone now, and I'll be as amiable as I know how.' but since you have gone to the trouble of getting my supper for me, Nancy, you must stay and help me eat it. Them strawberries look good. I haven't had any this summer. Been too busy to pick them. Nancy stayed. She sat at the head of Peter's table and poured his tea for him. She talked to him wittily of the Avonlea people and the changes in their old set. Peter followed her lead with an apparent absence of self-consciousness, eating his supper like a man whose heart and mind were alike on good terms with him. Nancy felt wretched, and at the same time ridiculously happy. It seemed the most grotesque thing in the world that she should be presiding there at Peter's table, and yet the most natural. There were moments when she felt like crying, other moments when her laughter was as ready and spontaneous as a girl's. Sentiment and humor had always waged an equal contest in Nancy's nature. When Peter had finished his strawberries, he folded his arms on the table and looked admiringly at Nancy. "'You look well at the head of a table, Nancy,' he said critically. "'How is it that you haven't been presiding at one of your own long before this? I thought you'd meet lots of men out in the world that you'd like, men who talked good grammar.' "'Peter, don't,' said Nancy, wincing. "'I was a goose.' "'No, you were right. I was a tetchy fool. If I'd had any sense, I'd have felt thankful you thought enough of me to want to improve me, and I'd have tried to correct my mistakes instead of getting mad. It's too late now, I suppose.' "'Too late for what?' said Nancy, plucking up heart of grace at something in Peter's tone and look. "'For correcting mistakes. Grammatical ones?' "'Not exactly. I guess them mistakes are past correcting in an old fellow like me. Worse mistakes, Nancy. I wonder what you would say if I asked you to forgive me and have me after all.' "'I'd snap you up before you'd have time to change your mind,' said Nancy brazenly. She tried to look Peter in the face, but her blue eyes, where tears and mirth were blending, faltered down before his gray ones. Peter stood up, knocking over his chair, and strode around the table to her. "'Nancy! My girl!' End of chapter 12, part 2